Welcome to the IndieWire Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Jim Hemphill, Craft and Special Projects Features Writer for IndieWire. Today my guest is Andrew Dominic, a director seemingly incapable of making a film that doesn't inspire strong reactions, whether pro or con. For his admirers, and I am unquestionably one of them, films like The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford and Killing Them Softly are masterpieces of personal expression movies that harness all the tools cinema has to offer in completely unique, powerful, and insightful ways. For his detractors, Dominic's unconventional narratives sometimes seem slow or needlessly elliptical. His latest film, Blonde, is already his most controversial, thanks to the deeply personal investment viewers have in its subject, Marilyn Monroe, as well as in the broader ideas her life introduces. You can read some of the arguments against the film on IndieWire's site and elsewhere, My argument for the movie is that by meticulously recreating the iconic imagery of Monroe's life and career and merging that pictorial historical accuracy with an impressionistic narrative, Dominic finds the perfect cinematic corollary for blonde author Joyce Carol Oates' literary style. The result, aided in no small part by Anna de Armas' incredible performance, is a nightmarish vision of Hollywood brutality and misogyny that ranks right up there with David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. But I'll let Dominic speak for himself. Here's our conversation. So, I, you know, I have to tell you, I was really, really blown away by the movie and by so many things about it, starting with just the your adaptation. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to start with a question about your writing process, because yeah. the Joyce Carol Oates novel is so dense and so long and uh, so ambitious where do you even start with something like that in terms of adapting it? Are there certain guiding principles that you have in terms of what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, what I saw within the book was the opportunities to detail a childhood drama, you know, a, a childhood trauma and the meaning, you know, the emotional meaning of that, and then see the adult life through the lens of it, which I think is how we all go through life, you know, um, so um, it was, it, it, everything was kind of selected on that basis, I guess, because that was the thing that would always, um, you know, whenever her life becomes destabilised or when she becomes emotionally destabilised, the past is always there in the book, you know. Um, so, but it was largely instinctive, you know. You, you just sort of pull out the things that feel urgent and you see what they add up to, you know. Um, and that's how I did it, you know, I mean, I think it was, I think I had a draft that was about 138 pages and I thought I'd got to cut at least 20 of these, you know, um, and it was a whittling down kind of process, but it didn't take long, you know, it was about four weeks. I think I worked on it. Um, and it was, it, it was done in a rush. I'd known the book for a while, you know what I mean? Like I'd read the book in 2002 and then I reread it before I adapted it um and then it was just you know um it was a very exciting time actually writing blonde was it something that you wanted to adapt immediately when you read it in 2002 or no no um and it's it's often that way for me I don't I don't often read a book and go okay this could be a movie but there are books that I love that sort of float around inside me and and Occasionally, one of them feels like, like, you know, with Blonde, it felt like at a certain point, um, I just started to think about how it could be a movie and what you could do with it, you know, like cinematically. Yeah. And I read that it was from the time you wrote it to now is something like 
you know, 12 or 14 years. So how do you, how do you sustain your interest when it's taking that long to get something off the ground? Well, you know, I'm not trying to sustain my interest. I'm actually, you know, when it breaks your heart, you want to let go of the damn thing, but it, 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 um, it just wouldn't leave me alone. You know, like there's many times I swore off blonde, never again, you know, never again. Am I going to go through that heartbreak? And then two weeks later, I'd be thinking, well, you know, that scene, I could shoot it like this or I could do blah, 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 blah. You know, I just start thinking about it again, you know. You know, but I remember when I first met Arna, I just said, look, this is a heartbreaker. Like, you know, come along. <laughs> the most likely thing it's going to do is just really hurt you, you know. Um, uh, but for some reason, you know, the film came to life with her involvement. I think in a way it was waiting for her, you know. Um, yeah, well, she's incredible in the movie and it's it's an incredible performance on so many layers. I mean, on the one hand, there's just the, you know, the emotional side of the character, but then just the the physical resemblance. Yeah. I mean, there are scenes in this movie, you know, like the, the films within a film, like some like it hot, you know, I actually had to look carefully for a second to be sure I wasn't actually watching some like it hot because it yeah. was that she was so close. I mean, yeah. what aside from telling her that it was a heartbreaker, what were the initial conversations like between the two of you? It was just me explaining what the what I thought the film was, you know, and what the sort of emotional map of the character was, like how the performance would be structured a little bit, you know. You know, uh, it, it was just trying to give her a sense of what it was. And then, but, you know, that's just chat, you know what I mean? Like, and then you get into actually working together and that's where you really feel you, you take the measure of each other, you know, uh, because... Uh, you know, performance has to be a process of discovery for the actor, you know, the, the actor using their imagination and they have to be surprising me and they have to be surprising themselves. You know, that's what you're, that's what you're there to photograph, you know? Um, and you're always trying to work out how to, how to make the thing live. You know, the last thing you want to do is be embalming your movie, you know, but with Blonde, there was just so much emotional energy in it. You know what I mean? It's very connected to, it's very connected to kind of like the wound and the life force, you know, uh, or, or the wound and the creative energy, you know, like it, it just had an enormous amount of creative energy. And, and I think that that's the reason that it sustained itself for 14 years was it just had a lot to give, you know? Yeah. How did you know that she was the one to pull it off? Because, I mean, in some ways it seems like now when you watch the movie, you can't imagine anyone else. But initially when I first heard it, I thought, well, you know, Cuban actress, dark hair, all these kinds of things. Like I was like, is this going to work? And how did you know? Well, it was, you know, I mean, the first thing was her face. You know, I, I just looked at her face, her facial features, and I thought that, that you know, she looks like her or, or she could be made to look like her. And, um, you know, I, I I also thought she was compelling on screen, you know, um, like when Anna was on, I just watched her. And uh, I think that's a similar way that I feel about Marilyn Monroe, you know. And then I got her to come in and read. I think I met her and we had a conversation. I was like, how much time do you want to prepare? Because, you know, she's she's Cuban, <laughs> you know, and uh, she didn't really know Marilyn Monroe. She didn't grow up with her. She grew up in, you know, Soviet Cuba, you know, Um and she said a week, you know, and then she came in and she, she read and she was amazing. You know, I mean, a part of it was, um, you know, having to get the accent, you know, she always was listening critically to everything that came out of her mouth. And she was, 
hesitant to speak in a way. And that was something I really didn't want her to lose in her performance. You know what I mean? She was doing it for, for other reasons, although um, Marilyn Monroe also had a stutter and that's part of the origin of the baby voice, you know, was it was a way to combat um, a kind of crippling stutter that she had, you know? So I think uh, Marilyn actually did listen to herself a lot speak, you know what I mean? They had a similar problem in a way. But, you know, it, it, it was really obvious to me after I read it the first time that she would be, she was the girl. Um, and then we, you know, we did a screen test of her, like, like Netflix wanted to see, you know, what does she look like, the whole thing. And that went, you know, amazing. You know, that was like better than I thought it was going to be. And that was always my experience of Anna. She was always better than I thought she was going to be. She was always better than I expected. You know, she was a, a, I mean, I couldn't have shot that movie in, in, you know, 45 days or whatever it was without her because, you know, she was the rock a, a, around which the whole thing had to function, you know. Well, I'm kind of shocked. To... The Armas, that's all I can say. <laughs> well, I'm shocked, kind of shocked to hear that you shot the movie in only 45 days, given how ambitious it is and and given the kinds of places that her performance has to go to. I mean, what kind of environment do you try to create on set to facilitate the actor's best work because everybody in this movie is great, not just her, but I mean, Brody's terrific, you know, kind of Ali, they're all excellent. I mean, you, you know, I don't believe in perfection. I, 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 I believe in uh, imperfection that reveals truth, you know, um, and we play a lot, you know, like um, you, you have to invent what she wants and what she's afraid of. And you got to do that for every character, you know, and you've got to come up with a different idea for every take, you know? Um, and what you're waiting for is the moment where you don't know what they're going to say next, even though you wrote the dialogue, you know? Um, and so it's, it's playful. It's, but it's a very serious kind of form of play, you know? Um, and she's, she likes to work like that. Like some people have, you know, oh, rigid ideas about what their characters are and all that sort of stuff. Um, which I don't, um, it's not really a notion that I subscribe to. I mean, I know there's an emotional map to the film. Like, you know, the first part of the film, she can't feel angry at all, not until she gets some like it hot. And then there's like an explosion of rage. And then she's like dead, dull, medicated, you know. So we know there's certain tools that she has in her toolbox and there's certain ones that she doesn't, you know. And there are those kind of parameters. But there's usually a few ways to kind of, for her to try to get what she wants, whether she gets it or doesn't, you know, it's a process of discovery. And that's what you're really shooting is, is the act of discovering something, you know? Well, and how does that work with the visual style where you're sort of, you know, a lot of the images in this movie seem modeled on photographs yeah, we've yeah. seen or other films yeah. we've seen. So there you're having to be quite precise, I would think. I mean, you know, it's no different. Do you know what I mean? It's still acting. And there's something exciting about re recreating that stuff. So you, you just make it, I mean, there's always limitations, you know, when you're making a movie. Uh, but, you know, primarily um, acting is a work of imagination, you know, and you're engaging that person's imagination. So, and I think, I feel like the the, the sort of quoted imagery, the um, trafficking in familiar imagery is also a way of... Um, creating the reality of the film, you know, do you know what I'm saying? But it's absolutely, it's doing it through photographic reference as opposed to, you know, production design, which we really couldn't afford.
that's interesting. You know, you bring up your production designer and I was surprised to read that this was her first film as production designer. Although I know she went on and did Licorice Pizza afterwards, Florence Martin. How did you come to choose her? And did you have any? Avalon uh, too, you know, which I imagine is going to be pretty spectacular design. Yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. I mean, how did... uh, did you come to choose her and how did you well flow flow comes down flow comes through this sort of production design lineage you know it's sort of jack fisk um and then uh you know he had an art director called david crank who became uh, you know a really good production designer and then th- th- then there's ruth de jong who's like uh, you know was in that lineage and 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 ruth was somebody that i was talking to about designing the film but she had a baby and she suggested flow as um as the set decorator and I met Flo and, and Flo was just like, you know, the most competent human that you could ever meet. And at a certain point I just promoted her because um, I, I just knew Flo would do a better job and she did, you know. Yeah. Was, were she working with, you know, in terms of the locations in this movie, I mean, are you shooting mostly on actual locations are you dealing with sets how much are you trying to go to the actual places that this stuff took place in i mean the, it's the real apartment she lived in with her mother it's the how it's her the house she, she her one house that she owned which was the house she died in in brentwood there's a house that she lived in with uh, arthur miller i think when they were doing some like it hot was like um there's the hotel room um that she um she lived in multiple times. There was one hotel room in LA that she would constantly move in and out of, you know. I mean, she lived in about 28 different houses in Los Angeles and we went to all of the ones that remained, you know, um, uh, and tried to, you know, we, we got into the ones that, that we could get into, you know, and then we found all the photographs that were sort of taken in those environments and then, you know, we would restage them if you like um but it wasn't just houses it was also cars that she rode in it was like um i mean as you know as much as possible we were trying to do it in the actual we're trying to revisit the actual places and and set them all up i mean you know flow build all the sets and stuff you know like we recreated the train car in um some like it hot it's got it's a split screen it's got tony curtis on one side and it's got honor on the other and we rebuilt the set exactly you know, and we rebuilt stuff from Niagara and, you know, we rebuilt stuff from uh, All About Eve and, you know, obviously Diamonds Are Girls Best Friend. You know what I mean? Like the, we did all that kind of stuff. But very much we're, we're matching photographs. So we know exactly what we're doing. You know, it's really exciting. It's a different way to do it. You know, it's a different sort of, um, it's almost like hip hop or something. You know, it's like sampling. Yeah, well, the I mean, the cinematography is unbelievable, the way that you approximate the real photographs and things. And, and I'm curious, like how you and Chase uh, achieved some of that. I mean, are you were you getting so precise as if you were recreating photograph? I mean, are you using the same lenses or you, you know, how are you approaching that? Yeah, exactly. You know, we're, we're using exactly the same lens, or exactly the same lens lengths, at least. We're lighting it the same way or... If it's available light, we're waiting for the same time of day, you know, um, we, we shoot the scene in the in the available light that the original photograph was taken in. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, we're, we're imitating it exactly. Well, and in terms of the visual style, you know, this is a movie where from beginning to end, you're placed in this woman's point of view. I mean, the whole idea is to make you feel this 
anguish that she's going through. How does that manifest itself in terms of the way you shoot? Like, does it, does that affect the length of shots? Like whether you do long takes or cut it up more, does it affect how often you're using close-ups? I, I, I don't really believe in the take anymore. I mean, that's the great thing about, about um, digital is you don't have to cut. Essentially, I'll just set up a shot and I'll shoot that shot without cutting until I feel like I've got it. And there's a great energy that comes from that. You know, you never let the world break down. You, you never call cut. You don't let anybody relax. Uh, you know, because as soon as you call cut, everyone will just swoop in. And it's going to take them. It's always going to take a minimum of six, seven minutes to get them out again. Um, if there's a problem, someone can go in and fix it. But we don't cut. And that creates a certain adrenaline to the whole situation, which I really like. That's one thing I really do love about shooting a film digitally is you can just keep shooting, you know. I guess it maybe my question then is more about once you get to the editing room. I mean, do you find that like what's what's dictating the rhythms of the scenes? I mean, what oh uh I mean it's pretty much it's pretty much done at the rhythm it's performed at. You know what I'm do you know what I mean? I mean, for me it's always about the head of the shot. I, I, I want to see the person reacting. It's like tennis. You know, somebody lobs a, a thing at you and then you see the reaction and then they you know, certain directors are different. They like tails. They always pre-lap the start of a line. Um, but for me, it's always about the head, you know. And I, I think it's because the characters are very often not saying what they what they mean, you know. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's what they're saying is at odds with what they're feeling. So you want to see the feeling and then you want to see the lie in, in a way. But um, her best take was usually about take seven and... And most of her performances, even if they're cut into cut with some with the other actor, are pretty much one take or a take and a half, which is unusual. You know, usually you're stealing a lot more pieces from all over the place. But Anna was um, uh, such a kind of violin solo of a performance. You know what I mean? That once you got that performance, you just didn't want to um, you just didn't want to monkey with it too much. You know, she's she's sort of in charge of her own instrument a little bit more than I'm sometimes used to, you know. Do you ever find as a director that you run into a problem where you might have an actor like Anna who's best on, say, take seven, and then someone else is in the scene who's best on take one or two, and then they run out of steam, yeah. or someone else needs to build up to 14? I mean, and how do you deal with that if you have those kinds um, of issues? I, I should I should, um, I should, clean singles, like you and me. We could intercut your take four with my take seven. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it's it's really interesting what you bring up, you know, because it's all about having the the camera in the right place at the right time. You know, there's a right time for the two shot. There's a right time for somebody single and there's a right time for another person single, you know. I mean, if she has to do something emotional or or um, if she has to do something that is um, uh, traumatic, you know, generally you're not going to do more than three takes because she's right there. And there's no reason to put her through it over and over again because she's done it, you know. Um, but if it's something where there's a negotiation going on, like um, uh, like with her and DiMaggio or her and Miller, you know, then, um, you know, that's a lot more subtle and there's a lot more shading and different ways to attack a scene. And generally what happens is all the disparate ideas that you explore early on, they come together in one particular take, you know. And you're just like, oh, okay, wow, you know, and you can sort of see all of it going on, you know, it's not one thing or the other, you know, it's both, you know, so 
it, it depends, you know, it depends. I mean, the film was shot very quickly um, and it was very much just about doing it. You know, we're not doing 60 takes of stuff. We're doing eight or nine, you know, 10 maybe. I mean, depending on the scene, you know. Do you have a preferred way of doing it in terms of, you know, do you feel like doing it more quickly is better in the sense that it forces you to operate on instinct a little more or would you prefer yeah. more time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's less boring um, to do it fast. I mean, I, I, you know, I have done stuff where, you, you, you know, you shoot take after take of a 15-minute dialogue scene and you start to bore yourself, you know. Um, there's something about having to operate from instinct and particularly for the crew, I think, uh, are amazing. You know, like, you, you, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of protocol, like camera protocol that goes on um, that I try to dispense with and just throw them in. Um, before they're ready and it's amazing how good they are on instinct like a, a time and again you'll see a focus puller doesn't know what the actor's going to do right and they pull focus really well when they don't know what's coming right and then the next take when they know what's coming they're not as good you know there's something about that sort of um, panic you know that 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 really gives the film a kind of visceral um quality I feel um I, I do like to work I, I do like to put people under pressure um at least behind the camera they they work better and there's something raw and authentic about it I, I don't know I mean it's great to you know do a movie like Jesse James where you got 75 days to shoot it you know you know that was great um but it was also great Blonde was like an acid trip you know it was like 45 days and every day you look at the day and go like, how am I going to make this day? I, I'm not going to make this day. And then somehow you make the day, you know, um, because there's an urgency um, to the whole thing, um, which I think translates, you know. Definitely. And, you know, the, the whole sort of, um, you know, the sense of uh, discovering things that keeps coming up here leads me to the question in terms of your, your visual style, how pre-planned are your shots going in? I mean, are you the kind of director who storyboards and shot lists a lot, or do you prefer to sort of just get there and respond to what the actors are doing on the day? So it's something somewhere in between. Uh, it's both, you know, I do both. I mean, I usually have a kind of a plan, but I'll abandon it if there's a better way that presents itself, you know? Um, I mean, a lot of this film, you know, you, you, you can't wing it, but th there are certain things that just occur to you um and you do them you know so it's both but there's also kind of a feeling of having the film inside you for so long and trusting your instincts about what to do you know reacting to what's happening as opposed to trying to force what's happening into a box of coverage you know um which sometimes you do you know and it's right uh, and sometimes you know you you can see it from a different direction i mean it's always good to have a plan that you can abandon you know, for something better. Parts of it are completely planned and parts of it are, are, are kind of winged. But, and some of it's just winged in pre. Yeah, some of it's winged on location recce. Like you, you walk into an environment and it suggests a way to shoot something and you just do it. Like the whole thing with her being dragged down the hallway to go see Kennedy and the way the camera just sort of flips around and her feet come off the ground and then the, um, the camera gets knocked and it just goes, you know. I mean, that was in the script, actually, the... The camera being knocked but it's not, that's very visceral kind of you know which just sort of happened you know it's a combination of things 
And how about something like the changing aspect ratios? Where did that idea come from and what motivated the different aspect ratios and going from black and white to color? Well, basically, like I said, you know, we're dealing in, um, we're trafficking in familiar imagery, you know, um, and it's literally based on photographs. So some of the photographs are black and white and some of them are square and some of them are color. Um, so it just depends on what image we're imitating as to what aspect ratio it is and what, you know, what it looks like texturally. But, you know, the big idea of it is, is if you're making a film about somebody who's projecting their fears and they're, they're not seeing the world but seeing their own drama, you know, if you've got familiar images that people know that you can um, change, that you can traffic in but also change the meaning of them according to how she feels, um, that's the big visual idea of the film, you know, and it, it should sort of feel like, that you know we're dealing with the collective memory of Marilyn Monroe you know but she's sort of trapped in this kind of collective visual memory um and she's struggling against it in a way um and we're using that imagery to kind of create a deja vu or we're flipping it on its head you know you know it's really interesting when you see when you see all that stuff from another perspective you know like we, we think of the image of her and DiMaggio as um romantic in the one in the window but you know in the film it's it's the opposite of that or you know seeing the Niagara trailer from her point of view you know where she's sort of cast as this devouring castrating female you know which has got nothing to do with who she is or um all of a sudden the the trailer gets revealed as a paranoid fantasy like a male paranoid fantasy or um you know and the film's doing that constantly you know bye bye babies about a song about uh, abortion now instead of, you know, I'm going to be faithful to you, baby, while I'm on my own, you know. You know, the movie's just doing that all the time. And, and the reason it's able to do that is because it has all of this imagery that we already know, you know, and but we see it now through her eyes and it's it means very different things that, you know, that's that's the whole idea of the film, you know. Well, it's amazing to me what strong feelings people still have about her. And you can see it even in the reactions to the film, pro and con. People have such strong feelings about Marilyn Monroe. And I guess to wrap things up, I'm curious from you what you think it is about her that makes her just stick in the consciousness. And what is it about her that you still find fascinating? Um, I think Marilyn Monroe represents a kind of rescue fantasy. I, I think most of the stuff that's written about her it, it, it has this impulse behind it of, um, I really knew her, you know, I understood her, you know, and you read that in, in Norman Mailer's book, you read it in Gloria Steinem's book and Blonde is no different, but I think it's a rescue fantasy. I think it's, I think she appeals to that strong desire to rescue, you know, which I think, and maybe the shadow side of that is also a punishment fantasy. You know, the shadow side of a rescue fantasy is a punishment fantasy. And I think that, um, uh, I think that's not a good thing, you know. I think if you if you um, if you want to rescue somebody, they probably need rescuing from you, ultimately. And and I think the strong reactions to the film. I mean, that's what the film's doing, right? It's basically saying, "Here's this person. Nobody else in the in the movie understands her, but we, the audience, understand everything, you know. And we wish we could just step in, or we wish they would notice, or we wish they would, you know." they would see her as she is. They wish they would 
wish this person would give her what she needs, you know, you know, and it's constantly thwarted and denied and all that sort of stuff. And I think that the people that don't um that that don't like the film are following that same instinct. They want to protect her, they want to protect her from me, you know, and even the ones that love Anna, you know, but don't like them, don't like my job, you know what I mean? They're they're kind of like they want to save her, you know, from this horrible movie, you know. So I, I feel like it's a measure of success of the film in a way. Yeah, that's what I think. I, I agree. I have to say, when I saw it, I was really just thrilled to see a movie that was not timid. It just really uh, thrilled me and really thoroughly enjoyed it. So, uh, Well, we live in very timid times right now. You know, we do. Yeah. Not the most adventurous times, you know. Conserved, deeply conservative, I think. Yeah, no, I, I, well, I definitely appreciate that you're out there making these uh, very, again, not timid, uh, very exciting I mean, movies. It, it, it's not by design. Do, do, do you know what I mean? I just wanted to make the movie back in 2008 where it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been, um, you know, swimming in all these areas where everyone doesn't know where the boundaries are anymore. But, you know, that was not, not the idea. I mean, I think the great thing about the whole Me Too thing is that it allowed the film to happen because I think, you know, pre Me Too, people just thought that there's it's just not marketable. Nobody gives a shit about uh, a woman's perspective on um, the tra traumatic life experiences or going through Hollywood or anything like that. They just thought, nah, no one cares about that stuff. You know what I mean? Or it's, and they were wrong, right? And that allowed the film to be made. So I guess, you know, it, it allowed the film to happen, you know? Um, so God bless it. <laughs>